our wonderful Heavenly Father, thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for bringing us safely together this morning, that we may remember your love towards us. We may sing praises to you and your wonderful Son, and remember all that has been done for us. We pray, Lord, that you will be here with us, that we may feel your presence, that we may be built up and edified as we spend time with you in this, your house. We pray, Lord, for your blessings upon your church throughout the world, that the days will soon be soon when your son will return to the earth to establish your kingdom, but until then, bless us all and keep us. Please, Lord, be with us all and help us, for we ask it through Jesus. Amen. We're going to um, take a reading that's going to fit in with Brother Charles's exhortation, and I've asked Brother Steve to read to us Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 to the end of the chapter. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, the offer of life or death. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Before we hear the word of exhortation, we're going to sing two songs. We're going to sing, You Call Me Out Upon the Waters, and then also, Who Can Know. So, it gives me great pleasure to ask Brother Charles to come and give us the word of exhortation. Brother Charles, please. Morning, everyone, again. Good to see you. Just before I get into what I mainly wanted to talk about this morning, I've got a little aside which came up yesterday um, because I was uh, working um, at a university because we'd invited uh, 45 dentists from around the world to talk about toothy things. And I was talking with a Kenyan dentist and I noticed she had a really unusual tattoo on her arm which looked like this. And I said, what does that say? She said, it says, faith, hope and love. I went, wow, 
what language is that in? She looked at me like I was totally stupid, which is, which is fair enough. She said, no, the first bit is a cross for faith. The next bit is an ECG heart signal for hope. And the next bit of it is a heart for love, faith, hope, and love. I said, so I know some people who appreciate that. Can I have a photograph? So I took it, and there you go. So, um, yeah, first of all, an apology. This might end up being quite angry. It's not how it's intended to be. But the printer only has red ink. (laughs) So when I'm looking at my nose, it just looks really angry. It's it's not that at all. It's just the ink. (laughs) And when you think about the great characters of the Old Testament, maybe you say your top three may be Abraham... David and Moses. But I think probably the most influential of all the Old Testament characters is Moses. He made the biggest impact. He gave, he gave the people the Exodus narrative, which they remember every year and defined the nation of Israel. And he gave them the law, which set down the, the tone of the rest of their lives in, in religious worship and their daily interactions. So perhaps the most influential person in the whole Old Testament goes down as being Moses. He provided the context into which Jesus came. And in this chapter of Deuteronomy, it's monumental because it's Moses' last words. In the very next chapter, or or the next few pages, I should say, he hands over to Joshua. At the ripe old age of 120 years old, Moses saying, I'm done, and now I'm over to Joshua. So this is a pinnacle chapter of the most important and influential person in the whole Old Testament. It's pretty important. Famous last words often carry extra significance, don't they? Some people give a last word on the life they lived. For example, Sir Isaac Newton wrote or said, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but as to myself, I seem to have only been like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. That's a nice little last word on on his life. Some last words are prophetic. Nostradamus predicted, tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here. And he got that absolutely right, because he died the next day. Some are underwhelming. Mary Antoinette, stepping onto the um, executioner's uh, stand, trod on her executioner's foot. So her last words were, excusez-moi, monsieur. (laughs) I like Spike Milliken's epitaph on his tombstone I told you I was ill (laughs) but Moses' last words the pinnacle are an appeal to choose life that's what he's saying and he sets out pretty clearly if you look at chapter 30 and verse 15 see I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his commands decrees and laws then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to promise but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed So he's setting out these two options in his last words and saying to them, choose life. In 1984, the band Foreigners said, I want to know what love is. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, love is all about action. Let me demonstrate that to you. Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Love inseparably linked to service and obedience. Chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God, And keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Love absolutely intertwined with following God's commandments and obedience. Chapter 11, verse 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, love and obedience, service absolutely totally intertwined so in deuteronomy love isn't an emotion love isn't a declaration of words love is absolutely service and action obedience isn't something which really figures highly in my list of priorities i don't wake up each morning going who can i obey today Uh, um, i'm an individual human i'm not one of a herd of sheep i'm free i'm not a slave i have a mind i'm not a robot to me, obedience is not a fashionable term. And I actually think it's a little bit undesirable. It's almost like a, a sign of weakness, if you like. So I'd like this morning to just explore a little bit of what it is to obey. What is it, is it to serve? So what is, is it to love in the way that Deuteronomy asks us to love? I've got a few pictures which I don't think are very helpful about obedience. And so maybe if I aired them with you guys, that would be um, helpful and therapeutic for me. The first picture of obedience is, you know, those, you've seen those pictures of um, a parade in North Korea, like a military parade, and everyone looks absolutely exactly the same, got the exactly same uniform, exactly the same haircut, exactly the same smile pinned to their face, and they even clap in the same way. Have you seen those, those pictures on the news? It's absolutely incredible. That's a, to me, that is a picture of obedience. And I don't think it's a very helpful one, because I don't think it's what uh, Moses is asking for in his last words. Actually, the Bible gives us loads of freedom to be who we we want to be, if you like, to choose the path and the the activities that, that we want to do. God's emphasis on the heart is the exact opposite of North Korean obedience. So... That kind of obedience is, is a bit of a is a bit of a false a false way to go down. In actual fact, the Bible draws out different characters, and if you think about the nature of the four gospels, how you can almost read a small section of of any gospel without being told which gospel it's from, and you, you probably stand a decent chance to be able to guess who the writer was because their individual personality comes through, far from it being like a whitewash um, of, of of just being exactly the same. So that's not obedience. Another picture I have is of obedience as being like a recipe. And I don't think that's helpful too. And that is to say that if you just do this, this and this, then your life will be like a beautiful cake, soft, spongy and pretty on the outside with sparkling decorations. I don't think that's helpful too. Now, actually, some of these passages in Deuteronomy, you can read in that way that do the right thing, everything goes well, do the wrong thing, everything goes badly. But in the wider scheme of the Bible, you, you quickly realise that it's, it's not that um, straightforward. Um, 
the most extreme example of this idea of obedience is the prosperity gospel. I don't know if you've heard about that. Something which was popular, I don't know if it still is popular in the US, but it basically said, if you follow God, you'll be rich and healthy. They genuinely preached that as the gospel in certain sections of the, of the American evangelical culture. And it's so wrong. It's this kind of recipe version of, of obedience. It's quite right that we preach the life-changing nature of the gospel, but we shouldn't wrap it up in false, sparkly wrapping paper that isn't actually um, true. In youth church assemblies, Steve Spielberg Tanner has been leading us around uh, Paul's journeys around around the Mediterranean. And you quickly see that that picture of a prosperity gospel is so far from the truth. Paul's obedience to God took him to really dark places. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. In danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So that recipe for a sweet, sparkly life is not what obedience is about at all. So there must be more to it than than the kind of North Korean obedience or the sweet, sparkly obedience. I think we actually get quite a good glimpse of what obedience really is at the beginning of Moses' life. You want to turn to the start of the book of Exodus. And I say right, right from the beginning that I think obedience is putting your hand into God's hand. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. That's the first stage of putting your hand into God's, is that when he calls, you say, here I am. This is me. Verse 10. So now go, God said to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. There's the next step of going to uncharted waters, not really necessarily wanting to do it, but still trusting God. Verse 13, suppose, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what am I going to tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You see the pattern developing that, that Moses, as he deepens this relationship of trust and obedience, sees all these reasons why he can't do this and he can't do that and this isn't going to work really. But as each step goes on, God leads him in, his, in, in, in 
passage of trust. It goes on even further, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but what if they say, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it onto the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This is where obedience led to him. Just a short space of a few paragraphs. He was doing crazy things like grabbing tail, snails by the, by the tail. Now, I'm not saying that we should be doing that kind of thing. <laughs> don't, don't, don't take that message at all. But it's this process of gradually deepening trust and obedience that when you look back, takes you to a place where you thought, oh, I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd do, I never thought I could do that. Because that's how trust and obedience gradually works. It's actually more about growing into your own identity than becoming a a stereotype, North Korean style. It's about becoming the best of what you can be because you're walking and working in this trusting relationship. And actually, Oceans was a great choice of song um, by Tim to, to, um, to really kind of t- carry that, that message across. Thanks for that, Tim. So we all make choices about the life that we lead, and, and many of them on closer scrutiny are pretty futile when you, when you kind of look at it. When I was a student, there were certain posters which were really common across um, different people's bedrooms. Uh, probably the top three figures were Bob Marley, John Lennon and Jim Morrison from The Doors. Those, those are the kind of most regular posters you'd see. But actually, in my time at university, um, in the late 90s, um, there's a poster which also figured quite a lot, and that was the, the film Train Spotting. And it's a bit odd. Uh, it tells you about my weird and warped mind, but a film Train Spotting, which is about the activities of young heroin addicts in Glasgow, has been totally and permanently intertwined with Deuteronomy chapter 30 in my mind. The film depicts how low you can go. In one surreal scene, um, the character who's played by a young Ewan McGregor in his first role dives into the pan of a public toilet, which is filthy with all the filth you can possibly imagine would be in a public toilet, plus then some, because he's chasing his fix. And it goes surreal, and you see him swimming through the waters of this uh, horrible, horrible water. But the subtitles that film train spotting, and the, one, the two words which appeared on that poster across many bedrooms was choose life. And that's why it made the connection with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Now you might be thinking that this film is going to ask people to choose a better life than that of the spiralling griminess of addiction. But actually, in some ways it says, well, for what? There's a famous monologue where uh, Hugh McGregor tells maybe a sneering middle class looking down on him. Uh, Should I try the Glaswegian accent? (laughs) This is going through my mind. (laughs) Choose life, 
Choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and dental insurance. Choose good health, choose low cholesterol, choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home, choose your friends, choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, wasting your last in a miserable home. Nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you have spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? And this is the heroin addict speaking to the middle class in suburbia secular life saying, your life ain't that great either. And actually... That's what Moses is saying too. Moses is saying choosing life is obeying God, walking in his ways, following his commandments. Choosing death is everything else, whether that's the life of a drug addict or middle-class secular suburbia, it's all the same. Choosing life is only about following God and keeping his commandments. When a prominent leader leaves the scene, the risk is that the vacuum that they leave behind will leave the people who followed them in no man's land nowhere to go. Think how terrible Manchester United have been since the loss of Sir Alex Ferguson. (laughs) That's got to stay in the podcast, by the way. Insist on that being in the podcast. (laughs) Moses prepares his people in a very special way for his his loss, for his, him disappearing off the scene. He says to them, everything is within your reach. It's only within your reach. You don't need anyone else. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. It says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? You see, the people who got used to Moses, when they wanted to know what God was saying, either disappearing into a tent or going up the mountainside into heaven to collect stone tablets and coming down and saying, this is what God says. Moses saying, no, you don't need that anymore. You don't need that. It's, it's, it's there with you. Verse 13 says, nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross it? Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? You see, the people who got used to Moses parting the water of the sea, crossing to take them to God's promised land. And here Moses is saying, you don't need anyone to help you go to heaven. You don't need anyone to part the sea to let you cross to get where you need to go. You don't need that anymore. Because in verse 14, no, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. Moses is saying, at the end of all that I've done, you don't actually need me anymore. Because it's with you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. You can share it between you. You don't need a figure like me to take you to God. You can get there all by yourself, by choosing life and following the way of love, which is a life of service. 
We have everything we need to choose life. We don't need anything more than what we've got in this room. It's within each one of us. And everything that Jesus did was down to earth. Literally brought God down to earth. Everything was within the people's grasp. Everything that he did was not unattainable. He didn't ask us to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem once a year. Everything was within our grasp. Rather than taking God away from us, he told us that God, the kingdom of God, is within us and in our hearts. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing, right down to earth, right down to the lowest of the lows. And what is love in Deuteronomy? Love is about service. It's about being a servant. Jesus took the very nature of a servant. He loved in the purest way of Deuteronomy. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is love in Deuteronomy? Love is following God's commandments, obeying them. Jesus became even obedient even to death. Jesus chose life in the most fullest picture you can possibly imagine. And I pray that in the actions of our lives, we will choose life every day too. Thank you very much, Charles, for bringing us to the central point of our service this morning to remember the one who chose life, but also gave us the opportunity to inherit that life that he won for us. And we are remembering this bread, all that has been done for us. And we're going to be led in our thanks for it through our brother Neil, please, brother Neil. Father, thank you for our brother Charles. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us and um, sending Jesus to show us how much you love us. And... Father, we, we want to choose life. We want uh, to respond to your offer of grace. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what, for what you did. <clears throat> and as we, as we sit here this morning, this, this part of your family, brothers and sisters, and we share this bread, share this, this simple meal that reminds us of what you've done, Lord Jesus. We, we pray for your blessing. We pray uh, that we will be strengthened and our love renewed as we eat this meal together. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Amen. Amen. And after Jesus had blessed the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Father God, we continue our worship to you as we reflect on your love for each and every one of us and as we partake of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus upon the cross. Lord Jesus, we come to remember what you have done for us. You showed love, obedience and service in your Father God and we stand in awe because you did it all for us. And as we partake of this cup of wine and all that it means to us, Lord God, my prayer is that we may all reflect on the obedience, the love and the faith and the trust that Jesus had in you and that we may use this morning as a springboard to our dedication in our lives today, helping us to choose life. We ask this prayer in the Lord Jesus. Amen. And we've remembered in these emblems what greater love is there that a man would lay down his life. We're going to close this service in prayer through Brother Andrew after we've sung our final hymn. There is a day that all creation's waiting for, a day of freedom and liberation for all the earth. And on that day the Lord will come to meet his bride. And when we see him in an instant we'll be changed. And this this is this is such a wonderful uplifting hymn and our prayer. O oh Lord God our Father, we thank you for this time together this morning, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the peace that we have had here to come and remember the obedience of Jesus and to think about the true meaning of obedience and to think about those wonderful people of old, such as Moses, Lord, who saw the invisible. He could see what so many people miss, the closeness of you we don't need to go through seas or through valleys or across continents because you've been with us here this morning Lord Jesus we thank you for being amongst us you did indeed bring God down to earth and we pray now that we might put our hand in yours and that we might go together out into the coming week each facing different aspects of life but we know Lord that you are there with us help us to think about the choices we make in, in the week some might be small choices perhaps we might feel they're insignificant but they're not they show what sort of people we are so we do pray Lord Jesus you will help us and guide us to make the right choices in your sight. Help us to be conscious of your presence in our daily lives. Thank you for this wonderful morning together. May it be uplifting for us all. And we pray that we might go on our way in hope, looking for that wonderful day that we pray will come soon.
Oh yeah. Amen.